Hello there and welcome to Tea and Talk. So firstly, I would like to acknowledge the Bedigal people whose land UNSW resides on. I pay my respects to Elders past and present and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people watching along with us today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. My name is Alva and I am the 2021 Wellness Coordinator at ARC. My preferred pronouns are she and her, and today I'm drinking a ginger tea. So today I'm joined by Adri. Please go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your pronouns, um, and what's in your cup today. Well, thank you, Alva, for that intro. Um, as you said, my name is Adri, um, but all my mates call me as. Um, my pronouns are he and his. Uh, what's in my cup today is a jasmine tea. Um, I'm an alumnus of UNSW Sydney, also a lived experience speaker for a mental health charity um, here in Sydney, um, and also work in the philanthropy uh, space in the higher education sector. Amazing. So we like to start off um, our tea and talks by checking in. So how are you going today? I'm doing pretty good today. Um, even better now that we're on this chat together. Um, it's a pretty wonderful way to be spending uh, lockdown, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. I think this lockdown period, it's nice to actually get to still, still get to do things and <laughs> yeah. have something booked in for the day. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so let's start off, um, just if you can share a little bit about um, your kind of journey, um, kind of in that mental health space. Certainly. So my journey, Alva, has taken me to many places that I never thought uh, was possible. Um, in 2013, one of those places was, in fact, the uh, cancer clinic um, up here in my local uh, hospital, um, which is where I was diagnosed um, with an aggressive form of cancer. At the time, I was in the middle of my final year of high school studying for the HSC, and, you know, for the most part, doing pretty well for myself. Academically, I was performing very well. I was actively involved in uh, student leadership, having just been elected school captain at the time. I had a great group of mates who I was hanging out with uh, all through a school day and on weekends um, and, and what have you. Um, so really to be diagnosed at this time was something that was extremely hard to accept um, and really made my world feel like it was falling apart like the carpet had been pulled um, from underneath me. Um, and as you can imagine, the biggest challenge that came from this, uh, aside from the impact that it had on my physical health, um, was the impact that my diagnosis had on my overall mental health um, and well-being. Um, my diagnosis had created a pretty significant distance between myself and my family and friends, um, given that it forced me to swap time in the classroom for time in the hospital, seeing all my doctors. Um, it forced me to swap uh, cycles of exams and assessments for cycles of chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Um, it really made for a pretty challenging time for my mental health and well-being. Um, it felt like I was on an island to myself and felt like there wasn't really anybody else that could understand what I was going through or what kind of position I was in my life at the time. Um, and because of this, uh, I didn't really let anybody into how I was feeling. I was bottling up a lot of the anxiety that was building um, and a lot of the stresses that came from having to manage quite a significant physical illness. Um, and for the most part, I did a good job in projecting a brave face to 
to others, um, but internally it was anything but. It was quite a challenging, anxiety-inducing time for me. Um, thankfully, I was able to secure some uh, special provisions that allowed me to graduate, complete the HSC, and uh, attend become accepted to and attend the university that I always wanted to uh, to attend and study at, UNSW Sydney, um, but still my mental health uh, was going through quite a significant transformative journey at that time. Absolutely. And um, what do you think was the biggest challenge of managing that illness? Do you think it was kind of learning? I suppose your whole life was changing, all the structure around your life was changing. Um, like, do you think that was the biggest challenge? Absolutely. It's what I think I now know the term, uh, the new normal, right? It was having to grapple with my new normal. And my new normal at the time was, as I mentioned, you know, swapping the hospital room and, and doctor's appointments, um, or sorry, let me backtrack, swapping exams and classrooms and studying with my friends, with being at the hospital, with being with my doctors. It was having to grapple with the fact that my identity, what I thought was my identity, which was being this student, um, having to change that and, and be this cancer patient who was experiencing mental health challenges. Um, and I think that was the biggest challenge for me um, during that time was, was grappling with my new normal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you obviously talked a lot about kind of you were at the end of high school and then transitioning to university. Um, and university typically presents quite a different set of challenges to high school. So um, as you had to develop quite a lot of resilience in high school, did you find the transition to university easier? Well, in hindsight, I, I would say that it, my experiences did make that transition a lot easier. Uh, because I think what that experience had done for me being diagnosed and going through treatment had done for me was it presented me with the opportunity to be thrusted in new environments unfamiliar environments new people um, and I think in turn allowed me to, to develop some of that resilience and that coping skills to adjust to to university life um, but at the time it felt like anything but it felt still quite difficult to make that jump especially given that I had to actually defer my my studies for a year because of my illness because of the impact that it had physically but also on my mental health so at the time when I made that transition to, to university I still had those feelings of being isolated and alone because in my mind I was doing it all on my own my friends were off they were already in second year they're already living the good the good life of a uni student with exam stresses and assignments and increased workload. While I was there in first year, in my mind, experiencing first year jitters um, all on my own. Um, but I was lucky that during that time, I was able to, to meet um, several like-minded people and make all these great friends who, who helped me navigate those challenges um, and uh, in turn helped me make that transition quite effectively. Um, so yeah, in hindsight, it's definitely I thought it was easier, but at the time it felt anything but. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you obviously have talked quite a bit about feeling kind of like isolated and alone in your struggles. Like you mentioned, kind of feeling like you were on an island. Um, and we know it can be really difficult to um, share things that you've gone through and ask for help for others and reach out. So how did you learn how to reach out for that support and kind of share those feelings um, with your friends and with your family? 
one of the first steps that I took, Alva, was leaning in more to my, my self-care strategy. Um, although at the time I didn't really think of it as self-care or, or didn't really know what self-care actually meant. Um, but uh, one of the first steps that I took was actually um, get a journal and start journaling. And journaling became uh, a very effective way for me to at least articulate the thoughts and the experiences and feelings that I had to myself. Actually putting down pen to paper what I was feeling, the thoughts that I was having, and seeing that as a visual reminder of, of, of what I was going through at the time and, and using that as a way to actually comprehend the thoughts that I was having. Um, and that was a really effective first step because what that eventually led to was you know, finding those, those, safe, um, those safe spots around my, my support network, those friends who I felt I could um, trust and I could open up to and using what I had written in my journal as the basis for those conversations. I thought if I could at least articulate those thoughts to myself first, I could then use that as a springboard to having those conversations with, with others. And that's ultimately um, what I did. I, I started falling into a rhythm where after every uh, lecture or every tutorial or, or every challenging day at uni, I would sit down at home and I would start journaling and ultimately what that became um, is me sitting down with my friends, with my family and using the journal and sharing with them what I had written. Um, and that started to build and build and build and um, eventually got to the point where I was able to feel comfortable enough to actually reach out for professional help as well. Um, so it was a, a gradual process, it was a step by step. We took baby steps at that time, um, but it all really started by leaning into my self-care strategies leaning into journaling um, and using that as a tool to help me reach out. Absolutely. And um, in terms of the journaling, was this something that you had kind of done a little bit of research and just thought you'd try out or was it recommended to you or? It, it was really something as simple as, you know, the fact that I was doing all this writing to begin with um, at, at uni, being a, an arts student, we were writing Art social science student, you know, we were writing essays, you know, every other week it seemed we were writing all these uh, tutorial assessments. So I was doing a lot of writing to begin with. And then I thought, well, why don't I just use what I'm already doing to be already um, and, and use that for myself, use that for for my my own hobby or for my own my own development um it, it was something that it was already there so yeah it was something just as simple as that it, it you know it was something that i was doing on a day-to-day -day, so I might as well just keep that part of the routine absolutely leaning to something you've already kind of got that little bit of skill a little bit of that base in already and then kind yeah. of tailoring it absolutely um and then once you did reach out um to your friends and to your family and then to eventually professional support what did, how did you find that process and kind of the responses that you received from that reaching out well initially that that process was really daunting it was really daunting because reaching out for help whether that was to to my personal support network to my friends my family um, was really daunting because initially it was not something that I thought that I would ever really do. Um, I, at the time, I had been of the school of thought that I needed to champion my experiences and my thoughts all on my own. I didn't want to, as I, as I mentioned earlier, didn't want to let it, anybody into those feelings because I wanted to project that image that I was keeping it all together, that I had it together. Um, but on the flip side of that, it was also because I was afraid of 
whether they would be thinking less of me or, or think, think of me differently or treat me differently if I had let them into how I was feeling. So initially the process was very daunting, um, but again, taking baby steps, using those strategies, those self-care strategies, it became quite a valuable and refreshing experience. Um, you know, the responses that I got from my friends and family first off was, was fantastic. They had always been quite a persistent support network, persistent in, in terms of being there and, and being at an arm's length and, and being there to provide support, even when I was not necessarily receptive of their, of their support. Um, and then eventually when I reached out for professional help, um, I was very fortunate that I connected with a clinician who I loved right away. Um, and, and in hindsight, I, I realized how lucky that I was because I know other young people don't have those experiences where they connect with the, the very first person that they see. Um, but I was very fortunate that the first clinician that I saw, um, we hit it off right away. Um, and I ended up spending quite a number of sessions with them over a semester to uh, figure out some strategies on how I could take charge of my mental health. So very daunting at first, but ultimately very rewarding and, and a valuable um, experience. Absolutely. And I think, as you mentioned before, kind of taking those small steps to, to reaching out kind of makes the next step less daunting and less daunting as you continue through the process. Um, awesome. Um, so another question I have is, um, how do you think reaching out changed between high school and university? Well, in high school, like I alluded to before, my attitude towards reaching out um, was that it wasn't something for me. Um, it wasn't something that I thought was necessarily valuable for me because why would speaking to a complete stranger or why would um, speaking to my mates about um, how I was feeling, how would that, how would that help me? Um, you know, I could tackle it all on my own. I could champion it all on my own. You know, that was my thinking at the time. Um, but uh, through university and particularly through making a lot of friends, like-minded friends who were quite open with the challenges that all uni students go through and, and quite vocal about the steps that they were taking to effectively take charge of their mental health, um, completely flipped the switch on, on how I personally perceived reaching out for support. Um, you know, I see reaching out for support nowadays as something that is just another valuable tool to have in the toolkit um, that I can take with me anywhere. Um, and it's really something that requires more strength than keeping it all in or tackling it all on my own, which I thought initially. Um, so yeah, it, my, my thoughts around reaching out for support certainly did uh, transform um, from high school to university uh, as a result of that. Absolutely. And you obviously mentioned like, so your friends would kind of been a bit more vocal in their mental health and, and the way that they kind of tackle those things or, or receive support. Um, do you think there was a change in sort of the culture around in high school and in university in terms of the way mental health was talked about and kind of the support services that were available or that you were aware that were available? Certainly, there was a, there was a, a huge culture shift for sure. I mean, um, high school was, I went to an all boys high school. So I think that stigma that is associated with mental health, particularly the mental health of young, young men was, was quite prevalent. Um, and, you know, even though we knew of support services that were around for us, 
it wasn't necessarily something that we wanted to let our guard down and actually go out and access. Um, but cut to university where mental health was something that was a lot more openly talked about. Um, for better or for worse, it was something that we were a lot more vocal around. Um, and in turn, the support services that were available to us to help us take charge of our mental health was also more openly talked about. Um, and again, as you mentioned, just having the friends that I had around me who were setting this fantastic example of actually opening up, but also reaching out and taking charge um, made, made that perception uh, a lot more different for sure between the two time periods. Absolutely. Um, and just uh, another kind of question around, um, obviously you had quite a serious physical illness. Um, and do you think the perception of that changed your perception um, then of kind of your mental health in that it was a physical illness is quite obvious. Everyone kind of can see that. Whereas a mental health, mental illness is a lot more like invisible and harder to see. 100%, 100%. And I think if there's one profound key learning that I took from being diagnosed with cancer was that even though, as you're saying, physical health is something that's quite visible, um, mental health is something that shouldn't be underestimated. It should be valued. It should be treated as seriously as physical health. And, and I'll be the first to admit, uh, initially when I was diagnosed, I didn't um, treat my mental health that seriously. I think I was more laser focused on correcting my physical health and, and overcoming the challenges to my physical health. Um, but I think what I've since learned and, and the biggest key learning that I've taken from this experience is that mental health is just as important as physical health. They're linked, they're hand in hand. Um, and in order to be really your, the best version of yourself, in order for me at the time to be the best version of myself, I needed to get both, both houses in order, um, in order to live, um, to live my best and most rewarding life. So absolutely. Um, I think that was quite, quite the, uh, quite the key learning that I got from all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when we talk about mental health, the conversation often follows kind of a linear pattern. We kind of like it when stories have sort of like a start, a middle um, and an end. Um, but for many people, progress is more non-linear as often you kind of, it's like a two, taking two steps forward, one step back, maybe three steps forward and then another step back. Um, do you think your mental health journey has been kind of more linear or non-linear? My mental health journey has been incredibly non-linear. Um, I've, I feel like I've, I've worn out my, my running shoes from all the steps back that I've had to take and steps forward. Um, because when I think back to, to where I was when I, when I first started this journey, even, you know, since I, since I was diagnosed, um, and, and my mental health at the time felt like it was in, in shambles, it felt like it was just not where I needed to be um, to then, you know, finding support from my friends and my family and taking a big step forward, but then also realizing that, you know, there are going to be some days where I'm going to be feeling really flat and not feeling like myself and taking that step back to like, it's something that um, I've noticed to be a very nonlinear experience. Um, and now, all these years later, uh, I, I'm about nearly eight years removed when I was first diagnosed. Um, now, I think I'm a lot more appreciative of, of how nonlinear the journey is 
And as a result of that, a lot more patient with myself. Like I was saying nowadays, you know, there'll be times when I'm feeling like I'm on top of the mountain, feeling like I've got everything under control. And then on the other side of that, there'll be days where I'm feeling really flat. Um, but because of this experience, because of how much I realize now that mental health is such a nonlinear journey, I'm a lot more patient with myself about that. So yeah, good days, bad days, you know, it, it, it's all okay because it's just, it's just part of, um, part of the journey that we take. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think a, a big part of kind of that kind of mental health journey and kind of figuring out is actually learning that it's okay when it's not okay. Exactly. Um, and, and that those days or those periods when things aren't going as well, that's okay. You know, you can come out the other side and kind of building those tools and strategies um, to kind of help you, <laughs> help you out, get, get back on, get back on track a little bit, take those steps forward again. Yeah. 100%. Um, so um, I just like to just, call out as well um we've obviously got a lot of um people watching along so if you have any questions um for adri please pop them into the facebook um chat and i'll be able to kind of ask ask away um something i'd like to ask you now is um you obviously have kind of taken this experience and this journey um and really kind of transformed that into your obviously um kind of talk about your own philanthropy and your um advocacy um could you tell us a little bit more about kind of how you took that those experiences and sort of led into that so somewhere along the way um along this journey i realized that i had this experience under my belt and in turn had this responsibility to use that experience in the most productive and most positive way um and and I alluded this to this uh, alluded to this earlier. I, I also realized that along my journey, that I was a lot more fortunate than others who have been in similar positions. So I wanted to use this experience um, as a way to uplift and inspire, and hopefully, I think inevitably um, help other young people feel less alone um, in their journeys. So um, when I was making that transition from from high school to university, I realized that. Um, sharing lived experiences through volunteering with mental health charities or student groups or things of that nature were, were one of the ways that I could achieve this. Um, and I started um, volunteering with a lot of mental health charities throughout my, my time at uni, started learning a lot more about this, the work that was being done in the youth mental health space um, and quickly realized that this was the way that I could um, use my story to uplift and inspire others so i started working as a lived experience speaker for a mental health charity here in sydney um, and started to connect with young people from all across um, sydney and all across the state really to um, to discuss ways that we could better um, better take charge of our mental health and and i think what that experience had taught me was just the power that we have in sharing our lived experience, whether that's through something formal like what I had, what I have been doing um, with mental health charities, or just in our day to day, um, and and that was that was really transformative. That was a really transformative learning, um, and that fed itself into just my aspirations to work um, in philanthropy. You know, this idea of giving back and being of service to the community, being of service to a cause that is bigger than bigger than me bigger than all of us um, was something that came from the time that i had 
spent volunteering, working um, in in mental health in the lived experience space, both at uh, both at uni and and now. So I'm very fortunate that I still have my uh, my toes in both waters. I'm still sharing my lived experience story stories, um, and I'm also working philanthropy, as you mentioned, and I'm really fulfilling that uh, responsibility that I felt that I had way back when. Absolutely. And do you think sort of sharing your own personal story of mental illness um, has actually, has benefited your mental health? 100% it has. Um, I, I think sharing my lived experience story has been very therapeutic um, because what it has done is it made me realise that my story really sits next to many similar stories for many other young people who have uh, walked in similar, walked in, walked through similar journeys. Um, and uh, it's made me feel a lot less alone. It, it's made me, in a lot of ways, comprehend and appreciate my story a little bit more um, and overall benefited um, my, my journey and my development for sure. So yeah, 100%. Um, and in terms of also sharing your story, um, I mean, you talked about you first got involved um, kind of with some mental health and sort of volunteering and charities, and then that was kind of how you started to develop talking about it. Has your, um, has your story changed? Like when you first started sharing your story to now, have you added, have you changed things kind of throughout that? Absolutely, absolutely. Because um, as I've gone to live a lot more life since since those early early days, I've had to adjust um, adjust my story accordingly. Um, and I think that again is reflective of the fact that our mental health journeys is ongoing, right? It, it, it's not like um, you know there's a definitive point where we've experienced mental health challenges or mental ill health, and then that's it. We recover we're 100% we're back on the horse again. I think my journey has certainly led me to believe that, um, you know, my story, the story that I share and, and certainly the life that I live is, is always going to be in development. It's always going to evolve. It's always going to, um, to you know, continue to elevate um, where possible. So yeah, it certainly has changed. Absolutely. And um Kind of been on theme considering uh, Sydney's now in yet another lockdown. Um, considering COVID and last year and kind of a lot of shifting to online, how do you think that changed um, your role in that kind of sharing your story and that advocacy? Well, I think what what these changing circumstances that we're living in has done is it's really reinforced the importance of sharing our stories and the importance of maintaining that human touch um, and obviously human touch uh, could be just through sharing it by these kinds of platforms checking in with with our mates um, you know leaning in again on those self-care strategies if anything this this these circumstances these ever-evolving circumstances have really reinforced the importance of keeping those structures and those routines and those behaviors in place so I see my role as an advocate as a, a very passionate um, sharer of my lived experience story. Um, I see my role as somebody who will hopefully lead that charge in, in my community, in my networks, to be that example for others, just like I was very fortunate to have those examples of my friends and my family um, when I was going through some tough times. So if anything, it's really strengthened, strengthened that the role that I see that I have. 
Absolutely. I think it's so important um, in the kind of world of a lot of online things to kind of maintain those connections with people um, and kind of, you know, just those little, those messages or those calls make such a difference. And, and I think even like learning from other people, like hearing about your story and stuff, it really helps you feel like you're not alone. Even if you are kind of sitting in your house alone, right. looking at a screen, um, you've got that bit of connection through that. Absolutely. Um, and so we have this saying at the wellness warriors that goes, um, you can't pour from an empty cup, which essentially means that when you're kind of having a tough time, your ability to th move through sort of daily life and help others is diminished. So what do you do to fill your cup? Well, there are a number of things that I do to fill my cup. Um, firstly, I, I'm a bit of a foodie, Alba. So uh, what I do to fill my cup and fill my plate, as it were, um, is to have, have lunches with, with my friends. Um, I think the most valuable and most uh, profound conversations that I've had throughout my mental health journey um, were over a plate of Vietnamese or Mexican or chips and gravy. Um, it was over sharing a, a meal with friends. Um, so that's something that I love to do to, to fill my cup. Um, I also love to go running and boxing and kicking the footy around. Um, any kind of physical, physical activity um, I really love to do um, to fill my cup. Um, and again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I really um, value the time that I have to journal on a day-to-day. -day. So journaling is something that uh, fills my cup. Um, so yeah, those, those are the three things for sure. Absolutely. And I mean, talked about, uh, sh sharing and kind of talking over a plate of food, which I think everyone can relate to as something that is really beneficial. Um, do you have a kind of perfect plate of food or like the Ooh. ideal, like meal to, to share with friends? That is a tough question, Alma. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, wow. You've you've really stumped me there. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think the 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 perfect meal for, for me, or at least the perfect meal for me now. Um, what I'm loving loving now is um, is a, a big bowl of um, some nachos. Um, I do love Mexican. I'm I'm in a bit of a Mexican phase at the moment um, in terms of the meals that I like to share with friends. So, in a big bowl of nachos, some uh, some slow cooked beef extra guac, maybe some chips on the side. You always have to have chips on the side, Albert. That's, that's uh, my tip. Absolutely. <laughs> um, some hot chips, um, you know, cause it goes with every meal. Um, that's, that's something that I'm really loving right now as, as my go-to perfect meal. Yeah. I think that one's a good one for sharing as well. Cause everyone can kind of dig into like one big exactly. bowl and, and sort of um, one big plate and it kind of helps, helps with the sharing experience as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and you also talked about kind of exercise, kind of, you know, boxing and running, and you also talked about kicking the footy around. Um, and we know, obviously, that kind of like link between physical activity um, and mental health. Um, how do you kind of keep going with those things in a lockdown period? And when it's kind of harder to get outdoors or when the weather's kind of, you know, miserable and rainy and all of that? Oh, it's certainly tough. It's certainly tough. And I think that can't be understated for sure. Because um, I know a lot of us who are in this lockdown is, is finding it tough to go out and have those runs or go out and meet um, others for some kind of physical activities. So um, I'm very thankful that uh, I'm quite a uh, uh, 
quite addicted to my phone. So a lot of the apps that I've been downloading lately have been around doing some exercises indoors. So I can still get that same kind of feeling um, of being out and about and getting sweaty, um, but just doing it uh, at home safely. And uh, so that's, that's something that I've been able to do um, in at least recently. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's a couple of apps as well, which you can kind of share um, some of like some of the fitness and stuff that you're or like activities that you're doing with your friends as well. So it can be a fun way, even if you're doing individual exercise in, right. in different places, you can still kind of connect over it as well. Absolutely. Um, and it is important to note um, for everyone listening along is like you're still allowed to leave your house to exercise. So please go outdoors a little bit, even if the weather's Hopefully the weather's a little bit sunny um, and you can still meet up with a friend, do some socially distanced walking or running around the park and stuff as well, um, which is really, really important. And it's definitely one of my big, my big, my big things to do is to get out for a walk every day. Um, so thank you so much, Adric, for joining us for today's episode of Tea and Talk. And thank you all for our Tea and Talkers for listening in. Um, we hope you enjoyed today's chat. Um, if you have any questions or topics that you would like us to chat about, you can reach out to um, arcwellnessunsw on Instagram, or you can also email us at wellness at arc.unsw.edu.au. Um, and there are also our support services, which are in the comments section um, of the video, if you feel like you need to reach out. Um, so take care, check in on your mates, reach out if you need support. We'll see you next time for another cup of tea.